0: Welcome to Studio Berlin, our current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm your host, Sylvia Cunningham. As the aftermath of the US election plays out across the pond, we're focusing today's show on the German capital and talking about a figure that's been a source of stability, Chancellor Angela Merkel. Ja, Herr Präsident, ich nehme die Wahl an. That was Merkel back in 2018, being sworn in for her fourth term as chancellor. Merkel has been in power since 2005, making her the second longest serving chancellor in Germany's modern history. But despite polls that show German confidence in Merkel is high, she has made clear she will not seek a fifth term when the country heads to the polls next fall. Later in the show, we'll take a closer look at Merkel's possible successors and get some insight into her critics and legacy. But first, we are hearing from one of her biographers, Stefan Cornelius. He is also the foreign editor of the German daily, the Süddeutsche Zeitung, Welcome, Stefan. Thanks for making the time. Well, thank you. So tell me first, how and when did you first meet Angela Merkel?
1: Oh, that's way back. I first met her actually in 1989. That was when the wall came down in East Berlin. And I was a very junior reporter, actually, a student. sent to East Berlin from Süddeutsche Zeitung to cover the events. And Angela Merkel was the spokesperson of her newly founded party there, the Demokratische Aufbruch. And I think I met her at her office when she was typing away at her typewriter some press releases.
0: And so in the years since, how much time have you spent with her?
1: Well, actually, not that much. I didn't cover her as a chancellor, but um, you sort of bump into her, you meet her for interviews, Um, you travel with her occasionally. She's not the uh, chancellor who is granting too much sort of background time. People don't really uh, pop into her office and talk to her on a background basis, uh, as some journalists would think it works. Uh, The best way to access her is on trips, on visits abroad when she takes time in the plane to talk to journalists.
0: Is she different in these one-on-one chats than the chancellor we see in front of the camera at press conferences?
1: Well, the camera chancellor is always a very restrained, very controlled person. She's extremely careful in what she says publicly. She's extremely um, picking her words, uh, not tr- trying not to offend people. Um, very balancing. Uh, The one-on-one chancellor is a very open, very outgoing, even funny person. She's engaging, she's challenging, and she's curious. And this is something which hasn't changed in all those years and even decades that, um, yeah, this kind of curiosity still is probably one of her striking features.
0: So we have the camera chancellor uh, and the one-on-one chancellor. What about the chancellor who is making deals behind closed doors or who is heading the Grand Coalition? How would you characterize her leadership style?
1: Merkel's basic belief is that politics is sort of a constant flow of decisions. And in the end, you're not advancing too much and you're not sort of decreasing too much. So you should keep some kind of level. And you do that by compromising. She's a deep, deep believer in compromising. And that's probably also sort of a tribute to the German system, which forces you to compromise, which is built on coalitions, which is built on parties finding common ground. And so in the end, she eyes of the problem, she sees some sort of something popping up, she probably thinks where she wants to end up with. She looks where her opponents are, and then she starts negotiating. And if she's sort of a bit on that point which she eyed to, which she wanted to reach, that's where she calls in. This is where she says, well, this is our deal, this is our compromise. Let's seal this. And um, so she's not out for huge victories. She's not out, out for this is all-or-nothing attitude, in the end, this probably explains her long liberty.
0: Chancellor Merkel has weathered quite a few crises in her time as chancellor. Your biography was published in 2013, so amid the Greek financial crisis, but before her famous Wir schaffen das, or We can do it, speech in 2015, when she called on Germans to meet the challenge and welcome refugees into the country— has the chancellor done anything to surprise you since you started following her?
1: Well a couple of things are are striking. The most amazing thing about her is the constant ability to adapt and to to ride the wave. This is not a given in such a high-speed time we're living in, and she probably is most successful in anticipating major problems and thinking 2-3 steps ahead of everybody else. This makes her so um, successful. Surprising to me was, well, her decision to uh, abruptly take Germany out of nuclear energy. The surprising part was definitely also the refugee issue, where she was caught in a corner because those people were on the march, she couldn't hold them off from the German borders, and she probably had to take the lead and find a way to accommodate the problem. And the most amazing feature to me is how she withheld the populist wave we saw over the past years, this anti-democratic wave which was threatening the West and its existence, and how she held out and upheld the beliefs we all think as are the right ones for Western Europe.
0: We are just a couple of weeks shy of a pretty significant anniversary for Merkel. Um, She'll mark 15 years as chancellor. And she's been firm. She won't continue after next year. That's still true, I assume?
1: That's true. I mean, she will not run again, especially now since uh, America has a new president. And the last time when she decided to run for the fourth term, uh, that was mostly due to the fact that Donald Trump took over office in the United States. And this is... Now, problem solved. This is a major burden lifted from her shoulders, and she probably will find not the right time to leave office and to hand over. Germany has to get used to a change in leadership, and Germany has to get used that democracy lives of different personalities running a country. It might be difficult after her, uh, but the country will groove into a new kind of time and a new type of leadership. Uh, not too soon, a moment, Angela Merkel will become history.
0: Stefan Cornelius is the author of the biography, Angela Merkel, the Chancellor and Her World. Thanks for your time today. Well, thank you. As Merkel winds down her time as Chancellor in 2021, a new chapter of leadership will begin in the United States.
2: Joe Biden.
0: On Monday, Merkel congratulated President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. What impact will the results of the U.S. election have on Merkel's departure next year? Joining me on the phone from Washington, D.C. is Constanze Stelzenmüller. She is a senior fellow in the Center on the United States and Europe at Brookings, an independent research institution. And joining me on the phone from London is Hans Kundnani. He is a senior fellow at the Chatham House, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Welcome to you both. Hi, thank you for having me on. Now, since you both were previously senior transatlantic fellows at the German Marshall Fund, I want to start there. Constanza, what did you think of this reaction out of the German capital to the US election results?
2: I think it's essentially, you know, what the chancellor needed to say. The German strategic community is profoundly aware that even though the president-elect Joe Biden is a known quantity, To a lot of policymakers in the world, the world has changed since he was last in office as Barack Obama's vice president. And uh, one of the more significant changes is that America is going to have to reconsider its global role and will have to make choices. And the expectation in in Europe and in Germany is that uh, Europe is going to have to do a lot more for its own defense.
0: Hans, what do you think? What is top of the agenda in terms of uh, transatlantic relations?
3: It's clearly the case that a Biden administration will be much more committed to the transatlantic relationship than Trump was. You know, Europeans had been hoping that a Biden administration would take the United States back into the Paris agreement uh, on climate change and the, the Iran nuclear deal. But the problem is, is that um, now you know, if Biden, if the Democrats don't control the Senate, then that's going to have to be through executive orders as in the Obama administration. And you know, I think Europeans have now learned the lesson that that's a very um, fragile agreement that can be overturned you know, by the by the subsequent administration. So I think that's an issue. And then I think on China and Russia, I think actually there's going to be a lot of challenges for Europeans and for Germans, I think, in particular. There's been, I think, a sort of structural shift in U.S. foreign policy uh, towards a a more hawkish approach on China based on the idea of strategic competition. And I think that's going to continue with Biden. And I think that's going to present some real challenges for Europeans as they're asked to do more, really, And, and in particular to decouple, to some extent at least, from the Chinese economy, which I think is going to be particularly hard for Germany to do.
0: Our first guest, uh, Stefan Cornelius, said that Chancellor Merkel ran for her fourth term partially as a result of Donald Trump becoming president. Do you agree with that? And um, do you think now, given these election results, she's heading into her final year of office with a bit of relief that she'll leave amid a potentially more stable time? Uh, Consanza.
2: Yes, I would expect that the chancellor would think that it was worth Running for a first time, for a fourth time four years ago. Remember that reports at the time were that she really hadn't wanted to run again and was essentially convinced to do so by Trump because she felt that this was going to introduce a degree of uncertainty, in particularly in Europe's situation in the world, and, and I think that was an entirely correct assessment. And that she can now sort of sit back a little bit and uh, I think attempt to do, you know, to tend to her legacy in what is less than a year until the, the German national election when she will step down. She's not running again for a fifth term, nor should she be in my view. And, and I'm not saying that because I have a negative view of her tenure. I have criticisms, but, but certainly I think she was a great chancellor on the whole. But I think that there are still a lot of really critical issues to resolve between here and next for when the German elections will take place. We're not out of the pandemic, despite the fact of the announcement of a promising new vaccine. But I think that she will now find in Washington a partner willing to listen to European and to German concerns. Although I completely agree with Hans that there are some issues, particularly the relationship with Russia and China and the Beijing's and Moscow's strategic pursuits of physical and digital infrastructure in Europe.
0: Constanze mentioned that she might have her critiques, but overall that she believes Merkel has been a good chancellor. Hans, I know you also have your critiques of Merkel. What are they?
3: Yeah, so I, I think I'm... Um a little more critical of of Merkel than Constanza is. Although my feeling, Constanza, is is that you've become a bit more critical over the last couple of years. The pieces I've read from you more recently, I feel like, take a slightly sharper tone towards Merkel.
2: I don't think that's entirely true. Um, I mean, I I don't recall myself having been, you know, a a gung-ho, rah-rah supporter. And I actually did just, uh, if you listened closely, use the word great. I do yes. think that, yes. uh, and again, I, I can, I can lift my criticisms, but I think that on the whole, she's had the right instincts. I think the thing that I appreciate her foremost, much as I criticize her maddening incrementalism, her caution vis-a-vis Moscow and Beijing, I think her leadership in this European crisis and the pandemic, where she has essentially told Germans that she will treat them as adults that she wants them to be responsible for their own decisions. She doesn't want the government and the state to be an annie for them. I admire her for that greatly.
0: Hans, what do you think?
3: Well, it's, it's really interesting how, how Constanza describes her because it is just very, very different to the way I see her. And, you know, what, what I think is quite interesting about Merkel is I, I sort of almost have this sense that she's become a kind of projection screen. I feel that there's different kinds of people who have different beliefs t- tend to sort of project those beliefs onto Merkel. You know, one of the very striking things to me about Merkel is after having been in, in power for 15 years, I find her still quite an opaque figure. Um, like, I don't really know what she thinks. So, for example, the you know, the story you mentioned earlier about how she decided to stay on for another four years because of Trump, I, I never quite know whether to believe these stories or not because I, I think a lot of them are either speculation um, or their spin. Um, you know, Merkel has this very tight circle around her uh, and I think when those stories emerge from, from that tight circle, they tend to be spin and when they're from people outside of her circle, they tend to be speculation. So, you know, I find a, quite a difficult figure to pin down, actually, but based on sort of what she does rather than what she says, and, and I think it's important to focus on what she does rather than sh- what she says, I think a lot of people tend to focus on what she says. I mean, I, I suppose my, my critique of her doesn't, isn't really that much to do with foreign policy, how she's handled China and, and Russia. I think of those things as being largely sort of continuous in German foreign policy. My critique of her is, is, is really more to do with her political style. And if I had to describe it in a word, I would describe it as post-democratic. I think there's something about the way that Merkel has sort of transformed German politics in the last 15 years there's been this you know, consensus that she's strengthened in the centre ground of German politics, embodied by the three grand coalitions that she's led over the last um, 15 years. So in other words, three electoral periods out of four. And so there's been a kind of a certain sort of depoliticization, I think, under Merkel. And it it's you know, so interesting to, to me that Constanze describes her as somebody who, treats the German population as adults, um, I, I sort of almost see it as entirely the opposite, that she sort of seems to sort of almost treat them almost as children, I would say. Um, and, you know, the, the interesting sort of explanation of this is, is actually from Stefan Cornelius, which is that her political style kind of goes back to her upbringing in the GDR, where there was political debate within the community, that because it was the GDR you couldn't talk about politics beyond that. And so biographers like Cornelius talk about how this is where she learned to keep quiet you know, her political style, I think in a sense comes out of that, but it seems to me almost as if what she has done is she has imported that into the democracy of the federal Republic. And she almost, it seems to me, treats the German people in the way that she treated the GDR beyond her inner circle as a child. And so you have this incredible kind of and unique sort of opacity and um, uncommunicativeness that she has. And I think that kind of typifies this kind of sense that at least I get from Merkel that she sort of almost seems to want to kill off political debate.
2: Well, let me just uh, respond to what Hans just said. Um, Hans, if you're in a discussion with somebody and you're saying your, your discussion counterpart is projecting, whereas you are not. Essentially, you're devaluing whatever I have to say by suggesting that I don't understand my own inherent biases, whereas you are
3: free of biases. No, no, no. I wasn't um, suggesting that. I think Constanza, that, I...
2: that as, a, as, a, as a debating technique, I find that leaves something to be desired.
3: No, no. Putting I... that aside,
2: I... but putting but that wait. aside, Hans. Um, yes, you did. You said I was projecting.
3: I may also be guilty of it myself. I'm not saying I'm immune from that. I'm saying she's a very difficult figure to pin down. Yeah,
2: And, And I feel that all you really have to do is listen to her. I agree that her governing style, arguably it's fair to say that in her first three terms, Merkel had a highly technocratic governing style and used a language that was deliberately aimed at depoliticizing politics, we all know that that was yeah. a political strategy for yeah. modernizing the CDU and for moving it into the middle, and it left the right flank that used to be tightly patrolled of the CDU uncovered, made room for the AFD, and on the left squeezed the SPD against the wall. But I think it is also only fair to say that the sort of succession of crises between the eurozone crisis, uh, crisis of uh, 2009 and 2010, and now the last 10 years, you've seen a distinct development of not just her speech, but also of her policies. I think it is just not accurate to to say that her governing style and her rhetoric and the content of her policies have remained the same over these nearly 16 years of her time in office. I think that she has made some truly significant decisions, not the least of which, a true, very, really historic one, is for, for Germany to support um, the issuance of European bonds for the European recovery package. I think that if you listen to her speeches, if you listen to her formerly extremely rare, now much more frequent television appearances, this is a changed style and a changed rhetoric.
0: Hans, is there uh, somebody you can imagine taking up Merkel's position and filling her shoes?
3: Um, Well, you know, again, one of the striking things about Merkel is the way that, um, you know, she was pretty successful in in killing off a lot of potential successors, which I think is now slightly caught up with her. To me, she, she looks like quite a Machiavellian figure that has been very successful in political terms. There's absolutely no question about that. I mean, just remaining as chancellor for 15 years is an incredible achievement, you know, in political terms. But, you know, unlike a lot of people who see her as, you know, standing for something, I don't really see her as her, her, her standing for, for, for anything. Um, and I think an example of that is how she's almost been too successful in killing off her potential successors.
0: And Constanza, I want your quick take on this before we have to wrap up. I think
2: that we wouldn't be talking about Merkel in this way if she weren't a woman. I think that a lot of her competitors, frankly, stumbled over themselves. They made a bid for the big time, and and the big time showed them that they had political weaknesses. I used to find her opaque. I think that is no longer the case. I think that if you listen to her recent speeches and her recent TV appearances, I think they are absolutely not lacking in clarity.
0: Okay, we have to leave it there. Uh, Constanze Stelzenmüller is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C., and Hans Kundnani is a senior fellow at the Chatham House in London. Thank you to you both.
3: Thank you. You're
0: welcome. Thanks for having me on. We're taking a short break. When we come back, more analysis on who might succeed Chancellor Merkel. Stay with us.
1: I'm Todd Zwillick. We named 1A
3: after the First Amendment. It's for everybody, especially the curious. And because things are rarely black and white, 1A brings you all the colors. Join me weekdays and keep listening to this NPR station throughout the day.
1: Tune into 1A weekdays at 4 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin.
0: Welcome back to Studio Berlin. So far on the show, we've looked at Angela Merkel and her style of leadership. Now we want to talk about who might replace her. The Christian Democratic Union was supposed to have a conference to elect a new party leader next month, but postponed to early next year due to the pandemic. It is not a guarantee that this person will go on to run for chancellor, but the pick will certainly give us some insight in where the party is headed next. Joining me on the phone to talk about the party's future is Franke Weltz. She is a radio journalist for the public broadcaster ARD here in Berlin. Hi, Franke. Thanks for making the time.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: There are three main contenders to take over the party leadership from the current chair, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer. Can you tell us more about who they are?
4: Uh, Yes, I can. So we have three men. The first one is uh, a guy called Amin Laschet. He's the first minister or minister-president, as we call it here, um, to the province of North and Westphalia. That's the state with the largest part of the German population overall. Uh, he's a decidedly moderate candidate who argues you know, that he stands for continuity after the Merkel era. He's long been seen as the front runner, but then got himself into a bit of trouble over his management of the corona pandemic in his home state, but um, he still argues that he's the guy, you know, if you, if you like the way it has been up to now, then he's the guy for you. Then um, we have a decidedly different character named Friedrich Merz. He used to be the chief whip or speaker, I think you would say, in the United States of the conservative faction in the German parliament, the Bundestag, but he lost this position in 2002 to Angela Merkel. Left politics shortly thereafter in a bit of a huff and has spent the past years being, among other things, on the supervisory boards of some big corporations. Most notably, he's been the chairman of the supervisory board of investment management giant BlackRock here in Germany. And uh, Friedrich Merz presents himself as an expert in all things economic as a bit of a tough guy in terms of security policies when it comes to immigration and so forth. And what's interesting about him is it's his second attempt to become party leader, because just under two years ago, he lost to the current party leader, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer. And then finally, we have uh, a third guy called Norbert Röttgen. Um, He currently is an ordinary member of the Bundestag, uh, an expert in foreign policy, He used to be uh, the federal minister for the environment in one of Angela Merkel's previous governments, but was sacked in 2012 after he lost a major regional election in his home state, North Rhine-Westphalia. He's currently the head of the foreign committee in parliament, also falls more to the moderate progressive side of the spectrum, has long been seen as a bit of an underdog, but he shows no intention of throwing in the towel. Last uh, tidbit. All three of them come from the same German province, which is uh, something we've never had before.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. So three men from the same area in the western part of the country. Um, as we mentioned, Annegret Kam Karenbauer is the current leader of the CDU. But going forward, where are all the women in this, this kind of contest here?
4: Yeah, well, that's a very good question. um, I'm afraid I have to say the women are in the second row at best. um, But we also must mustn't be deceived by the fact that uh, the CDU has been under female leadership for many years now, first Angela Merkel, now briefly Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer. But overall, the party remains a decidedly male affair, so only only about 25% of the memberships are women. The party is in many ways still an old boys club or network. And at least at the moment, no woman seems to want to, you know, pick up the gauntlet and say, look, um, I'm standing for party leader, which in a way is understandable because unfortunately there are many, many among the male part of the membership who also think, okay, actually we need like a man again, a tough guy who says, you know, says it how it is. And so in a way, I think maybe it may not be the best time for women to um, aspire to become the third female leader of this particular party in a row.
0: No matter who of these three men wins the contest to be party chair, do you think the party will be pulled into a more conservative direction?
4: Not necessarily so, because as I mentioned um, in the beginning, two of the candidates, Armin Laschet and Norbert Röttgen, they stand for a decidedly more moderate progressive agenda that seeks to somewhat marry conservative values with a with a more modern outlook. And the only one where I would um, actually put a lot of money on that he will pull the party if he sh- should he succeed in his quest to become leader in a more cons- conservative direction would be Friedrich Merz, although he is claiming the same for himself. But in his rhetoric and uh, the the emphasis he he makes, you can clearly see that he is painting a f- far more conservative picture of what the CDU could look like
0: um, in the future than the other two. Do you think that the Christian Democrats are ready for a future without Angela Merkel? Or do you think that the party is nervous to go forward without her?
4: I would venture to say that many are fairly nervous, especially the party has never been big on you know developing platforms and programs, but rather been driven by their leaders. There's a saying among political commentators around here that nowhere it is so easy to become an authority quick. Uh, as in the CDU, because that's somewhat in the DNA of the party. And in addition, if we look at the, the, the polling numbers, for instance, I mean, they're, they're way ahead of of, of, of the political uh, competition um, everywhere. However, that is clearly linked to Angela Merkel and her government's performance in managing the corona crisis. So we don't know what will actually happen to the po- those poll numbers once it's decided who will... Uh, take over the leadership of the CDU, thereby become the implicit candidate, f- you know, for succeeding Merkel. And once she's gone, I think all these factors make a lot of people in the party rather nervous.
0: Franke is a radio journalist for Public Broadcaster ARD here in Berlin. Thanks so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And that does it for us today on Studio Berlin. Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Have a good week.